Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 16. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the labourer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, Eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. In the Gospel of Luke, The kingdom of God is one of the most prominent themes. 32 times that phrase is used, the kingdom of God. But what is it? The kingdom of God is something that we long for and we get little glimpses of the kingdom of God already, but it's not yet fully here. So it starts out as something little and it grows. It's something that we catch little glimpses of through the miraculous work of Jesus but it's not something that's going to be fully realised until Jesus returns. And on that day, the wicked will be judged and the righteous will be feasting with Jesus in the kingdom of God. Now, last week, Jesus actually said that there are some who are not fit for the kingdom of God. Does anyone remember what that was about? That was when he was talking about, he said, no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and keep following Jesus. And when Jesus calls you into mission, you follow him because he is your Lord. Because if we commit to Jesus, but then turn back, 
we're not fit for the kingdom of God. But there is a truth here that becomes plain in the Gospel of Luke and in today's reading. God calls all Christians, all disciples of Jesus, are called into mission. Now, I know you know this, but we still try to ignore it, don't we? Um, and, and we try to hope that you know, those other Christians, they're going to pick up the slack a bit. Uh, because God is going to, God wants to use them more than me. But deep down inside, we all know that this is true, don't we? That God is calling you and I into mission. It's part of the DNA of being a Christian. Being a Christian who's not sent on mission just doesn't exist. It's part of our DNA. And a second truth that becomes plain is it's when we are actively involved in the mission of Jesus, that's when we experience the kingdom of God coming near. Whenever the gospel is proclaimed, whenever the sick are healed in the name of Jesus, the kingdom of God has come near. And this is what I want us to understand. The human mindset judges things on what response we get or judges on results. But from God's perspective, things are very different. He judges it on faithfulness. Now, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but some of us pastor types, um, sometimes we like to skite. You know, oh, we had 15 salvations last week and 12 salvations the week before and, and another six decisions for Jesus today. And, and you sort of start adding up all of these all of these salvations, and you find yourself wondering, A, where are they all? Because your church doesn't seem to have grown by near that much. And B, what's wrong with the rest of us? Why aren't we having the salvations? And, and the conclusion that we might come to is, well, God is obviously using that person to proclaim the gospel because we hear of the claimed results, which doesn't line up with what we see in ourselves. Therefore, God doesn't use us because we're not getting the results. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I feel terribly inadequate to share the gospel. But I've been trained to do it. And as I've been teaching you week by week, you've been trained to share the gospel as well. But, but the problem is we focus on results. And we don't believe that we get the results or that we can get the results. And so we assume that God is calling those other people into mission because they do get the results. Does anyone else feel like that? Well, if so, it's based on an incorrect assumption. And I'll tell you why. The Lord does not depend on you for results. And it doesn't depend on me for results either. And you and I, we need to get this through our thick skulls. The Lord does not depend on you or I for results. What the Lord requires of you and me is faithful service. That's it. And in faithful service, the kingdom of God comes near. Whenever the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed, the kingdom of God has come near. Whether people respond to it or not, 
So last week we talked about the nature of discipleship. It, it's about having a total commitment to Jesus because he is Lord. You know, a lot of us, we don't consider what Lord means. We just think of it as a name. But Lord is a title for the one who is number one. Lord means Jesus is boss. He is our everything. What he says goes. When he sends, we obey. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been seeing that authentic commitment to Jesus as Lord is a very costly thing. At times, as we follow him, and as we proclaim his name, as we're told, sometimes we'll be rejected, just like Jesus was. And Satan uses fear of persecution and fear of rejection to prevent the gospel of Jesus from being told. And to our shame, sometimes we succumb to this. And our fears mean that we take our eyes off Jesus. We stop working the plough and we look back. But we need to be reminded that overall, Satan has failed. Because the gospel of the Lord Jesus has been proclaimed. It's been proclaimed for the last 2,000 years. The question for us is, will the gospel of Jesus be proclaimed today? And will it be done by us? So back in chapter 9, which is only one chapter ago, uh, Jesus sent his 12 disciples out on mission. And we sort of look at them and go, there you go, he sends the leaders out, that's it. But now he appoints another 72. And as he sends them out, they're not going out on their own. He's sending out 72 of them. And he sends them in pairs. What is it with our modern age that we've become so individually individualistic? You know, we, we, we have the impression that it's all about me on my own. And so in matters of faith, it's my decision. It's personal. It's none of your business. And when it comes to serving Jesus, we see it as a personal call of God to me. God's going to give this personal call to me. It's what I feel that I should be doing, I will do. And the call that God might give you, it'll be what you feel that you should be doing is God's call to you. Seriously. Jesus appointed 72 people all at once. Why do we individualise it? And then he sent them out in pairs. He didn't send them out on their own. And this is how we should understand ministry. It's not so much about my individual call. It's about our united call. Together, we are called to serve Jesus. And there's a lot of wisdom in this. On your own, you get tired and run down. On your own, you might feel that nobody's in your corner. And so when one person rejects you and rejects the message of Jesus and you lose all momentum and you feel like everyone's against you. When you're on your own, there's, there's no one to take over when you're sick or when you're tired or when you're run down. And there's no one to pray with. And there's no one to uphold you and encourage you. 
when you're on your own, it's so easy to get distracted and it's even easier to give up. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, most times I've heard that read, it's been at a wedding. Who, who has heard that passage read at a wedding? Most of you. And it's nice. It's nice at a wedding, but it's actually written in the context of life and work. And this is important for us. God has not designed us to be alone. He hasn't designed you to be alone, even in life and in work. He hasn't, and in ministry, he hasn't designed us to be a one-man band in isolation in ministry. And it says there, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Who's the third strand in the cord? God. But see, the problem is when we think individualistically, we've only got two strands in the cord, us and God. But he's designed us to have three strands in the cord, us, others, and God. We work together. So did you notice here, Jesus didn't send them out on their own, that there was sent them out in pairs, sent 72 of them out in pairs, but he didn't send them alone from here either. He didn't send them out into the never-never, he sent them into every town and place where he himself was about to go, right? Jesus was going to meet them in those towns that he sent them to. And in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Great Commission, where, where Jesus sends his disciples out into mission there, he says, and behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That's the promise that Jesus gives us. And this is why whenever the gospel is proclaimed, the kingdom of God comes near because it's not about us. We're just turning up and being faithful. Jesus comes with us. Jesus is there and this is about the work of Jesus who is with us. It all seems so overwhelming, doesn't it? The need in this world is so great. Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There are so many people in this world who don't even know the name of Jesus. Or for them, the name of Jesus is just a swear word. But now it seems there's, there's a whole generation of kids who don't even have a concept of there being a God. I think it was Andrew who said to me the other day, a kid... Andrew talked about God and, and a kid said, what is God? The need is so great. We need more preachers of the gospel, but where do we get them? How do we get them? I'll tell you how. By being the faithful disciples of Jesus that he's called us to be. And by proclaiming the kingdom of God as he's told us to do. But some of you might say, hang on a minute, Michael, because straight away you've seen there's a little loophole here. 
Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so you might come back at me and say, Michael, I'm a prayer. I'm a prayer. I'm the one praying that God will send these others out into the harvest field. Does anyone see themselves like that? Come on, fess up. Don't put up your hand because I'm about to say you've missed the point. Do you know who the others are that we're praying for? The, uh, the extra labourers to help gather the harvest, they're the ones who we gather in the harvest. Right? Those who receive the message that we preach become those who deliver the message. Are you with it? Are you with me here? Because Jesus says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Therefore, go your way. Behold, I am sending those other people out as land. Is that what Jesus said? No. Therefore, go your way. Behold, I am sending who? You. You, you say me. Jesus is sending me. Right. Out as, as a lamb in the midst of wolves. Being a faithful disciple of Jesus and proclaiming the kingdom of God as Jesus expects of us, that's not going to be easy. I mean, this is lambs among wolves stuff. Hang on, I'm supposed to be the preacher encouraging you to do it. Now I'm telling you lambs among wolves, what's going on? Well, this is another good reason that we proclaim the kingdom of God together with another. And we uphold one another as we do it in prayer. The picture that Jesus is giving here is a ministry marked by prayer and dependence. Utter dependence on God. Now the trouble is, we like to be independent, don't we? Who here likes to be independent? Yep. And so we only consider ministry if we can afford the cost. And that's why so many people put it off. You know how long people put off ministry these days? Often it's until retirement, right? I'm, I'm a bit busy now, but when I get older, I'll be able to live off my retirement savings and I might be able to incorporate it into a trip around Australia and share with the people in the caravan parks. That's when I'll start getting serious about the gospel. You watch it not happen. The thing is, when Jesus calls, we're not supposed to be independent. We're supposed to depend on him. Carry no money bag, Jesus said. You know what that's saying? Leave your wallet and your credit card number at home. Carry no knapsack. That means don't take a port with you and change your clothes. Well, for those foreigners who don't know what a port is, bag perhaps, don't, don't take a bag with you. Um, carry no sandals. In other words, one pair of shoes is enough. Um, you're not going to need a different pair of shoes to fit a different, and go with another ensemble because you've left your port at home. Uh, and greet no one on the road. Now, I don't think he's telling us to be rude. I think he's just saying, don't dilly-dally. Don't just, they're chatting for ages. You've got, you've got a place you've got to be. 
And then he says, when you turn up in this town, basically nobody knows you in that town, so you're just going to stay with whoever takes you in. He says, but before you go in, bless their home. Even before you know them, you bless them and because they're welcoming you into their home. But that doesn't matter. If they turn out to be bad eggs, God will just remove the blessing. But if they are good people, and, and let's face it, most people who are willing to take you in are probably good people. Um, but if they are good people, if they are what Jesus refers to as a son of peace, then blessed they shall be for welcoming you in. By the way, I wonder, would we be, would you and I be the kinds of people that Jesus is describing as sons of peace? Are we sons and daughters of peace? A son of peace will welcome a person, even a stranger, into their home and give them food and lodgings simply because they've come to town to serve in the name of Jesus. Are we a person of peace? Some of you I know are. This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 25. When he gives this blessing, he says, Come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And the righteous thought to themselves, now hang on a minute, Jesus, when did we do any of that for you? And he said, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Right? Jesus wasn't just talking about every stranger who happens to town. He's, he's specifically talking there about bringing fellow Christians who you don't even know into your home and giving them food and lodgings because they're there in the name of Jesus. And that's what a person of peace does. They welcome strangers who serve in the name of Jesus into their own homes. And as we welcome these, our brothers, we are welcoming Jesus. I wonder how many of you, Jesus is going to say, thanks for having me to dinner. Thanks for giving me a bed that night. And you'll be going, huh? And you'll be the ones that he says, when you did it for that person, you did it for me. You know, when I left my job to become a pastor, one of the toughest things for me was to get over depending on others for my provision. Um, I think the Protestant work ethic is a strong thing and, and I still feel the need to be working with my hands to earn a living. But I've had to get over that. Because Jesus is telling, telling us here, and it's not just for full-time pastors, it's for you too. Because we're all called to some kind of ministry and mission for Jesus. And what's he telling us? Stay with the person of peace. Depend on God. And the way that God provides us is for us is stay with the person of peace. Eat and drink what they provide for you. For the labourer deserves his wages. When you take time out to proclaim the kingdom of God, in God's eyes, that's not being a slacker. 
This is your vocation. You are a labourer who deserves his wages. And what are the wages? A person of peace will provide for you while you proclaim the kingdom of God. And so what I, what I see here is the way the body of Christ works together. Sometimes you will be a person of peace to another and provide for them while they minister in the name of Jesus. And sometimes a person of peace will provide for you as you minister in the name of Jesus. And that's how the body of Christ works together, supporting one another in ministry, upholding one another. But of course, it's not about what we can get out of it. You know, Jesus says, and don't go from place to place. Once, you, once you've come into one home, don't go looking for greener pastures. Like you might notice, oh, that lady, her husband's a bit fat. She must be a really good cook. I'm, I'm, I, might, I might move to her place. And, and, um, and, or you might go, I think, I think their house is air-conditioned. I'm moving to their place. Right? It's not about what we can get out of it. But what does the mission look like? What does this mission look like? He mentions heal the sick. So it involves praying for those who are in physical need. But what is clearly highlighted here and, and what comes up several times is proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near. I want to be really clear here. You don't need a theological degree. You don't need to have a special gift of the gab. You don't need to be some kind of highfalutin evangelist with a nice suit. He simply says, say to them, right? so this is Jesus speaking, say to them, you ready for it? The kingdom of God has come near to you. There's the message. Now, it's time for a bit of evangelism training. I want all of you to be able to, 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 be able to say this. So I'm going to say it, and then I want you to repeat it. You ready? The kingdom of God has come near to you. Your turn. Let's try that again. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Now get excited about it. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Oh, look at that. A room full of evangelists, prepared, equipped, trained, ready to be sent out, able to teach everything that Jesus has just told us we need to be able to say. This is really exciting. Let's do it again. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Why is that message enough? It's because with that much information, a person who hears it will either seek God or reject him. And that is the nature of the gospel. Some will accept it. Many will reject it. But if they reject it, that's not on you and it's not on me. It's on them. Um... We've got to get over the spiritual self-flagellation that we do to ourselves. Oh, I failed. 
I should have done it better. It was my fault when I told them, I tried to tell them the gospel and they didn't believe it. It was my fault. It was nothing of the sort. Nothing of the sort. Get over it. And that goes for parents as well. Today, Jesus wants to set you free from guilt. I believe I need to say to the parents who have unbelieving adult children today, if you have proclaimed the kingdom of God and your adult child does not yet believe, that is not on you. Stop carrying the guilt. Jesus doesn't put that guilt on you and you shouldn't carry it. They are an adult and it is on them. You keep praying for them. You keep praying for them. But stop beating yourself up. In fact, Jesus said, when a whole town rejects you, no, he didn't say do what James and John wanted to do. Remember what they wanted to do? Shall we call fire down from heaven to consume them? <laughs> the, the laugh isn't in the Bible. I just add it because it sort of seems to fit. If, no, don't do that. If a town rejects the gospel, if there is no welcome, if they seem to be completely closed off to the kingdom of God, and pull up stumps and move on. But, he says, as you do move on, they need to be reminded of the consequences and they need to be in no doubt that it is on them. Maybe the next town that you arrive at might be open to the kingdom of God, but as you go, you let that town know one final time the kingdom of God has come near and you missed it. You rejected it. Now, we, we're pretty hard at, at that bit, aren't we? Seems to me that in our culture, one of the worst sins is to offend another person. And it's not even nice to tell another person there's consequences for what you do. But when it comes to rejecting Jesus, this carries with it the most severe of consequences. And the day of judgment will be more bearable for Sodom than a town that rejects Jesus. What happened at Sodom? Well, Sodom was a horrible, violent, sinful city who did not welcome in peace an angel of God. Right? That's what happened there. They did not welcome in peace an angel of God. And God did rain down fire from heaven. Now, I suspect that's what James and John were thinking about when they made their suggestion that maybe we should call down fire from heaven. And what James and John didn't understand is now is the time for saving. The time for judgment will come when Jesus returns. That's when he will come as judge. And people need to be warned of that. And Jesus names a few towns where he did some amazing miracles, but they still didn't repent. And yet how many people is it who might say to us, well, if God wants me to believe, all he has to do is do an amazing miracle. We've all heard that, haven't we? And they might even name that thing that they want God to do. It might involve them winning the lotto or something. Who knows? Jesus did some amazing miracles at Chorazin and Bethsaida, he says, but woe to them. That word woe, it's, it's a word of sorrow. 
It's like how sad I am for you, how bad it is for you. For if the mighty works been, that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, now they're two wicked places, godless places. But Jesus is saying if, if the miracles that were done in you were done in them, they would have repented a long time ago in sackcloth and ashes. On judgment day, they'll fare much better than you. Then he mentions Capernaum. We hear of a few things happening in Capernaum, but says, are you going to go up to heaven? No. You'll be brought down to the place of the dead. There are consequences for rejecting Jesus. And a great display of miracles will not soften a hardened heart. If you have had the gospel proclaimed to you and you have not repented of sin and submitted to Jesus as Lord, whoa, how sad Jesus is for you because you've rejected God. You see, as we share the message that the kingdom of God has come near, People are going to respond to that. But it's not you that they accept or reject. It's Jesus. And ultimately, they reject God. This might seem incredible, but this is what God does. When we give that simple gospel message, what is it? That the kingdom of God has come near. You haven't forgotten it already, have you? Oh, right, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. When we give that message, for some, that message will be enough for them to seek Jesus. And what has Jesus told us? Those who seek will find. Right? God will take it further. Those who seek will find. And you might find that when you share that message, that they might start seeking from you. Then just tell them what you know. Just tell them what you believe. When you run out of answers, bring in somebody that knows a few more answers. Or sit down and read the Bible together with them. They'll find answers there. But for others, in rejecting us, in rejecting the simple message, they reject Jesus. And to reject Jesus is to reject God. So, are you a person who has been impervious to the gospel? When the gospel's been proclaimed, have you rejected it? Well, you know it's time. It's time to become a person who stops rejecting Jesus and becomes a person of peace who will receive the gospel of Jesus, receive the message, and then become a giver of the message. Are you a person who prays for the harvesters to be sent out to proclaim the kingdom of God, but you also presume that you're not one of them? You're wrong. The kingdom of God has come near. That's your message. And I've just tested you all, and you know how to give it.
Are you a person of peace who welcomes strangers into your home because they are brothers and sisters in Christ, who are proclaiming the kingdom of God? If so, the blessed peace of God is upon you. Are you a person who has been beating themselves up because you blame yourself when others don't turn their hearts to Jesus? If so, you need to hear the word of grace that the one who hears you hears Jesus. And the one who rejects you rejects Jesus. And they've been rejecting God. Let go of your guilt and get on with the business of continuing to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that in every age the gospel has been proclaimed. And Lord, we know that you are sending us. We pray that as we give this simple gospel message that the kingdom of God has come near, that some would receive this message, that some would seek you through it and that they would be saved and become fellow harvesters in your field. Lord, we thank you that in your wisdom, you don't send us out alone. Forgive us for our fixation on self and individualism and help us to journey with each other as we share in your mission together. By your spirit, help us to be persons of peace, a people of hospitality who welcome and provide for those who come in Jesus' name. And Lord, may the harvest be great because it is your harvest. Amen.